day, like you spent so much time going to school for this skill set. Like you want to be able to then unleash that as much as possible. And you don't have to do implants. You don't have to do, um, you know, Invisalign. You do what you want to do um, from a dental side. In the same way within vet med, and you look at from a really good, well-run practice, it's going to be in the teens as far as profit margins. I've seen practices that are significantly higher. Um, I've seen practices that are in the thirties. I've seen mm-hmm. practices that are high forties and mm-hmm. it's just like, they are very, very niched out as far as who they're taking care of and what they're trying to accomplish. And that's incredible. I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business, advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the abundant beans podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today on the podcast, we have Isaiah Douglas. Isaiah is a certified financial planner. I like how this is in all caps, certified financial planner and fee-only advisor. He left a large national firm to start a solo financial planning firm in 2018 to pursue a planning approach that is dedicated to identifying ways to grow the net worth of veterans veterinarians and the summer of 2020 he merged uh with a partner is now co-owner and partner at vinciri is that right it is so think sincere just with a v so vinciri okay vinciri i was going like the italian version it's it's latin and it totally doesn't sound like that but everyone goofed it up so that's the way that it's pronounced okay we've americanized it (laughs) vinciri wealth management welcome Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, we've done pot, we've done panels together. I've been on your podcast. And I think we've did a, I think we did like a, a Zoom live event too, or like a Facebook live or some sort of thing as well mm-hmm. with the Vet Financial Summit. So I think that's this the first is time I met. Four, four things. Something. Something. Not yeah. enough yet. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll we'll keep getting there. We'll get to double digits before too long. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Um, so happy to have you today. Thank you for making time for us. Yeah. Um, I'm, 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 I'm giving Isaiah crap because he was mega late on accident, which is totally fine. I was mega um, late and I feel guilty. No, it's totally fine. No worries. Uh, so Isaiah, first, first question first. What was your first job? My first job was at uh, KFC in Bluffton, Indiana. And I did not work that long because wow. I broke my arm uh, in sports. So I broke my arm in football. And I think I was employed maybe a year and I maybe only worked like four months just because when I had a broken arm, like you don't really get, you don't really get workers comp or any of those other benefits just couldn't work. And, um, to have someone that's supposed to be frying chicken with one arm and the other one in a sling, they didn't really like that. So couldn't really do much. Why really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was kind of anticlimactic. Does that, <laughs> does that translate into what you do right now? Your KFC? Um, sure. We could we could use some sort of way of saying the secret recipe of the the seasoning on the chicken is a way to think about investing as far as like bringing all the different ingredients together to make something tasty. Um, I always use the analogy of chocolate chip cookies, but maybe I need to go back and, and switch that to uh, the same thing as uh, the Colonel's secret recipe and I'll uh, make it into some sort of investing uh, analogy. So that thank you like for that. Super brilliant off the cuff. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I would have been like, um, no, Jamie, not at all. Um, I don't flip chicken on a daily basis. Um, so give us the cliff notes on your career journey. Current cliff notes are, um, 
born and raised in Indiana farming family doing the farthest thing from that. Right. So that's kind of just a weird, weird way to, to get where I'm at. It was more or less wanted to do finances because I saw kind of my family struggle from that standpoint, bigger family was, I mean, I know people had way worse childhoods, um, was definitely loved, got a lot of stuff, um, from that standpoint, but you know, saw my parents struggle with money. And I was like, I don't want to have that when I get older. So I was just naturally curious to educate myself that ended up leading to wanting to learn about investing. And then I thought, oh yeah, financial advisor, they just do investing stuff, which is so not true. And as I learned more and more, um, you know, got into that world, was fortunate to have a job at Merrill Lynch in Indianapolis, work with a guy that I think highly of treated me well, got to see good experience, didn't love the big box brand approach. You can certainly dive into that, trying to keep myself out of trouble by saying negative things of, of big companies. But um, then yeah, left, I got my hand slapped enough, um, had enough things that I wanted to do differently. Mm-hmm. And kind of the ideal clientele when I was there was people that were already wealthy, had already made it. And then they came to us to have their wealth managed versus saying, Hey, if you need advice and guidance and you're in the middle of something and you're younger or you're starting a business or you doing all this other stuff, come back when you've sold it and you have some money. And then until mm-hmm. then, like, good luck, come back. And but we're not going to like help you sell it in a tax yeah. way or help you figure out how to sell it or do any No, 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 none of that. That, that sounds like it'd be um, something that'd be uh either too much work, open up too much um, exposure to liability, all this other stuff. So no, it was much more simple from that standpoint. Um, so tell us what all those letters after your, um, after your name mean. Yeah. So you talked about the the CFP, so Certified Financial Planner, all being caps. That's their their rule. So they oh. like are really stringent around how you use the the mark. And so you can do CFP and then the registered trademark, or you can type it all out, but it has to be caps with the TM. There's a TM on there. <laughs> yeah. So they, like, they are really big sticklers. They like beat that into your mind as you go through the initial training, like the first little section you go through. So certified financial planner, I always describe it as it's a mile wide and an inch deep. You learn about mm-hmm. a lot of different things mm-hmm. and you can kind of, the way that I looked at it was take CE, do different things that you find interesting and then go to the level of knowledge and expertise and then kind of build out your niche. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, obviously it's kind of been around dentistry and veterinary medicine and private practice ownership and just like the world of, you know, dealing with student loans and, and, and just a, a way of trying to understand what all that comes together. But yeah, CFP to me is kind of like table stakes for anyone that's giving you financial advice. Um, there are really great people out there that don't have CFP. So I'm not saying that that means that they're not good. They're not smart, all that stuff. But for me, there's really not an excuse at this point not to get your CFP and they may be working on it. So again, mm-hmm. I would encourage someone if they have someone they really like trust and they are not working on it, encourage them, ask them and, and kind of push them there. So MBA, so that's um, kind of masters of business administration. Mm-hmm. It was in entrepreneurship and innovation, which sounds super fancy, but it was kind of a, um, a trial thing that they were doing through a, through Indiana University at their satellite campus in Fort Wayne. And I learned a lot. It was interesting. Um, basically, the like capstone course of that was trying to take an idea that was developed and then pitch it to people to try to get funding. Mm-hmm. So um, the the team that I had to work with to go through that, um, I would never want to start a business with them. So it was kind of like the whole time I was like, even if we got funding, like I, these would not be the people I would You're choose like, to I'm go out. and run a business with. But <laughs> it, it was good. I mean, it was fun. You learned a lot and you got to talk to some people that had done, you know, angel investing or were, you know, had, had done some things in the community in that area, um, Mm -hmm. as far as helping start some different businesses or people that were running the incubator and, 
in town. And again, Fort Wayne, India is not like the hotbed of VC. So again, it was, it was fun. It was enjoyable. Um, and then SEPA, that CEPA is certified exit planning advisor. So I took that course through the exit planning Institute earlier this year and more or less just because there's a lot of baby boomers that are going to have needs in mm-hmm. that curriculum and that coursework was built more for middle market. So I think like $2 million in revenue up to 20 million. Mm -hmm. But the way that I looked at it is, Hey, this is just really good information, good knowledge, but then taking a lot of the process and they do a really great job from a process perspective of bringing that down market to kind of dental and vet, because Mm -hmm. it seems to be like you get to the end of your life and you're like, okay, I'm going to sell versus actually understand what's the process to get there. And how do you think about that to get to a point where you understand, you know, what you need from a a wealth perspective, like what do you need to sell it for? What is it actually worth? And what's the potential that it could be worth? Mm-hmm. Because you can certainly sell your business at some point, right? But are you selling it for what it's actually worth? And is there the right timing and just all these other things? So it was, it was interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and I, I think the CPA is very similar. Like people are like, I'm going to do my CPA. I'm like, if you want to do taxes and bookkeeping, do you really need your CPA? Because it really is that like mile wide inch deep. Like, I probably don't use any of the knowledge I got from the CPA exam. I bet you do. I, bet, I, I think that's definitely one thing that when you think about from a tax perspective and who knows what the future holds right now with, with all the different it's changes, so different. having that, that knowledge mm-hmm. in at least the understanding of how it all works, I think is yeah. really important. And it's amazing how many people don't understand how the current you know, tax system works at all. And they're like, oh, I'm in this tax bracket. That's what I pay. I'm like, mm, not quite. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. Yeah. There's just so many pieces in our code that like, there's no way they could have. I was actually going through my, my husband had like had all of our college textbooks out. He was like cleaning the basement. He had all these college textbooks out and I'm looking at his pile. He's a mechanical engineer and I'm looking at my pile and I'm like, 90% of your pile is still relevant to what you do none of this is even true anymore <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for me. Like my pile is, yeah, no. Because <laughs> it just yep. changed so much on this. And you guys too, there's a lot of different regulatory that you guys are dealing with um, yeah. similarly to us. Um, so I want to know what a fee-only advisor is. I mean, I know, but I want my audience to know sure. what, a, what a fee-only advisor is. Yeah, and... I feel like I probably beat the drum more on fee only earlier in my career. I still think it's super important to me. It's, it's one of the questions that and I'm starting to see people ask it more. Like if, if someone comes in as like a, a, a newer prospective client, they might be like, Oh, are you fee only? And it's great to see that that word is getting out there, but fee only just means the only compensation that we as an advisor get is what is paid from the client. So there's other aspects of the industry and it's more of kind of the old school mantra of, oh, there's like revenue sharing or there's some sort of commission of selling this thing, or you can win extra trips if you hit certain things or, um, you know, at a bigger bank institution, maybe it's if you open a mortgage and a credit card and you do this and that, you get all these extra little bonuses on how your payout is as an advisor. And it's like all that takes away from at the end of the day, what people hire an advisor for is financial advice, typically, Mm -hmm. right? They just want good advice to to free up things where they can either, you know, retire sooner, free up their time, whatever. Like that's what they're hiring them for, not to have them try to like manipulate some sort of system internally to hit their little bonuses and 
yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how incentives work in environments like that. That's definitely a lesson I learned earlier on, which was interesting. That is interesting. Um, so a fee, so the fee, the fee only advisor, the client pays you the fee, right? Correct. Yep. So in, and fee only can be a lot of different ways. I think some people hear fee only and they're like, oh, so they don't do investments. Not necessarily like fee only can be, I'm going to charge you assets under management. And there's a lot of, that's kind of like the industry standard of, Hey, we charge for the assets we manage and whatever, you know, fee that is. Whatever percentage it, that is. Yeah. Whatever percentage that is, that's what they charge. And there's others that we charge a financial planning fee. So like at our firm, we charge a financial planning fee and then a investment management fee because we don't require, well, we, if, if someone to work with us, we're going to require the financial plan. We don't require the investment management. If they, if they want to do it themselves, they can. And then there's others that do like just a flat planning fee. There's people that do it on a net worth basis. So I started when it was just my original firm on a net worth basis, because I like that idea of just building net worth and identifying ways to grow net worth. And that's still kind of at the core of a lot of the conversations that I have. Mm-hmm. It gets tricky from a, a way to, how do you scale that? How do you make it fair across the board? Cause it's can be way more expensive for some people. And then you start getting business owners and like, how are you going to value those businesses? Who's valuation? And it just, it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why I backed away from that. But there's so many different ways that advisors have decided to like build out their fee structure. I think the simplest thing, if I'm a client is just asking, how do you get paid? Can you explain it? And can you be transparent around where your incentives lie? If they'll do that and you know that they're fee only, that's great. Like then you can decide, is there value here or not? And then you can kind of make the decision accordingly. I like, I like that the conversation around like, what are the incentives and like do the, you know, like I have partners that will pay me for, you know, referrals or whatever. And I was just say, I get a portion of it. That doesn't, that's not why I send you to that place. <laughs> usually yeah. I usually have these relationships because they take really good care of our people or I ser- like seriously trust these people, um, you know, or they're, you know, they're trusted advisors for me. Um, generally I get a kickback of some point, some sort, but like, I don't care about that. <laughs> like I would still send you those people. And so I think it's a really important conversation to have with any of your advisors. Yeah. And, and there's, and there are, it's all about just, are you able to explain it? And do people know that that's there as long as you're not trying to hide it. And it's like, Oh, I only send you this person because there's this big thing. Like we have a, an organization that we work with where we have a revenue share with them where they, it's more on kind of what my partner and some of the other people on the team are working on. It's not necessarily in dental or vet med, but it is just like, it's a way for us to have, you know, additional opportunities for new clients and, and good clients. And it's, Hey, when they come on, they get a portion of that revenue. So it's like disclosed and they have that conversation. So yeah, for me, and again, going back to, as long as people understand what's your incentive and how you do things, I think mm-hmm. that is at the core of it. Not, well, if you buy this, it's this. And if you do this, it's this. And I do it. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't really necessarily make sense. At least for me, I don't know, but there's a lot of that still out there and there's still good people that operate in all kinds of different channels. So it's not trying to say I am holier than thou. And I think sometimes, mm-hmm. at least in my industry, there are people that will kind of take that. Oh, you know, I do things so much better because I do it this way. And it's like, okay, you know, there's plenty of different ways to run different businesses. It's just, you know, we prefer the idea of the fee only and mm-hmm. we think that's what aligns things the best. So. I mean, same. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of people who still, plenty of people in my industry who still charge by time. There's, you know, plenty of people who charge by form. There's plenty of people who, I don't know. Like, so, you know, there's bajillions of ways that we can create or 
decide what the value is of whatever, of, you know, whatever our services um, and what our prices are, um, but it's what resonate and what makes the most sense. Yep. And if there's no fee, there's probably something there. Like I, I just talked to a veterinarian and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, there's the, there's, you know, a handful of peers and they were telling me they really like this place because they don't, they don't pay anything. It's free. And I'm like, so they're running a nonprofit. I was like, no, they're not running a nonprofit. So I'm sure there's, there's some way they're making money. <laughs> so for what it's worth, <laughs> just ask questions. Free it's, is never free. <laughs> yeah. If it's free, if it's free, you are the product, just like yeah. with social media, right? Like you get ads, you get different things that come at you at that point. So if you're not paying for it, they are using you for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like free CPE, like CPE platforms for us. Um, and I used to do it, like when I started my business, I used to do a ton of those, right? Cause it's like, oh, it's an hour and it's free. But then I'm like getting inundated with the emails from those people or there's a hard sale being written and I'm just like, well, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Um, so like us, your focus is on veterinarian dental practice owners. Um, why, why that demographic? Why that industries? Yeah. So growing up in rural Indiana, um, I went to a super small high school. There was a guy that I played sports with that was a year younger than me that I accepted into IU dental school. And mm-hmm. he basically was like, I have a ton of student loan debt. Cause he came from even humbler upbringings than I did. And he's like, I want to get married. I want to own a business. I know nothing about this. You do money stuff literally that conversation over probably three or four Miller lights. And that was the, that's, that's how the whole idea started to kind of focus in that space. And so I basically took his need and went out and being within Merrill at the time, you know, bank of America owns Merrill Lynch and they have this like practice solutions group. And so there was kind of that, that tie where I started, okay, let's dig in and, and understand what the solution set is. And so I was just trying to find other partners that would do what I couldn't do. So I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on TV or on the internet or any of that stuff. Right. So you need those person. You need someone that can do the the real estate. You need someone that can help with, uh, you know, equipment and supplies. You need a CPA. You need Mm -hmm. someone to help them do a lot of different things. So it was just trying to build out those relationships. And it was like definitely old school networking Mm -hmm. in the indie metro area. And so Mm -hmm. I have a lot of great relationships, awesome people. Um, there and just was talking at the IU dental school and trying to get involved as much as possible. And I just kept showing up and telling people that, you know, I want to work with Dennis and I want to work with Dennis of all kinds of, you know, styles. And that's partially why I left Merrill because I couldn't help him. Right. Going back to who the original ideal client was, it was a person with seven figures that had sold a business that will come bring it to us and we can manage like that was the client. Mm -hmm. He's not that client. Um, maybe seven figures in debt after buying a practice and student loans and all the other stuff. Right. So it's, it's like the wrong side of that. The other um, side. Yeah. The other side. And so through that, there was a handful of professional partners that were like, Hey, I'm working with this veterinarian or mm-hmm. would you be open to working with someone else? And I was like, absolutely. And there's a lot of similarities, I think between the two. There's a lot of and that was really why I chose that because again, going back to the CFP curriculum, you can, it's a, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. I can't know everything. And mm-hmm. so I joke, my partner, he knows a lot about stock options and worked and was out in the Bay area for seven years. And so we have some tech clients and that's really kind of where he built his niche around that. I remember learning about stock options. I am not equipped to be a good stock option. Find your advisor. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, Nope, not my thing. I would refer that out or 
go find someone else that knows it. And so like, mm-hmm. yeah, for Josh, like that's fantastic. For me, it was like the life stages of associate new grad, trying to get a sustainable lifestyle, trying to figure out what this all looks like mm-hmm. now that maybe, maybe I've never made this kind of money, six figure income or, you know, high five figure and trying to figure out, okay, I have a lot of student loan debt. I want to do these other things. What does that look like moving into maybe practice ownership? And obviously that's a huge passion. Anyone that's heard me talk before is like, oh my gosh, this again, but practice ownership to me is a huge deal. Um, Oh, absolutely. And I think that kind of middle aspect of it is how do you build wealth within that and just look at what's the best use of a dollar if I'm a business owner. And it's not always, you know, maxing your 401k. And a lot of people are like, well, that's weird. That's not what any other one advisors told me. And I'm like, well, look at what the returns are. It might make sense to do that. There's plenty of years it makes sense, but not all the time. And then kind of that third bucket is that transition out, mm-hmm. which is more of the traditional financial planning of I'm going to retire. Can I retire? Mm-hmm. And so getting a, you know, big financial plan around retirement at 32 when I'm trying to think about buying a business is not overly helpful because life is going to look so different in five years. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to kind of align what is the, the need today? What can we do in the next 12 months to work towards what we're trying to, to build for? And then as life changes, because life naturally will, I didn't think five years ago I'd be doing what I'm doing same. right now. No way, no way. So I know that's the same way for a lot of clients and it's hard to be like, yep, you just do this to this to this and you retire. Like, no, mm-hmm. it's not quite that. Linear. That linear. Yeah. It's lumpy. I always say it's lumpy. Yeah. Emotionally too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the most commonly missed opportunities you find in working with practice owners? I really like, um, I really like HSA. So like high deductible health plans, again, it depends on the, the individual mm-hmm. and it's not like the huge, like this is going to save you the thousands of dollars, but it just seems natural to usually you'll have, if it's a married couple, you'll have kind of the person that has the more traditional mm-hmm. job or they're, you know, W2 there's employee and they have the health benefits and, and there's a lot of, you know, whether it's dental organizations or veterinary medicine, you know, organizations that will also have health plans as well that you can then tap into. And there's some good offerings there, depending on the state and if it's a national or more localized solution. But, you know, I, I think the world of HSA is just because it's literally the idea of taking a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, you smash them together and that's what you get. So you get the best of both worlds. HRAs are pre-tax dollars that are never taxed. Yeah. So HSA health savings account, right. Mm -hmm. Tied to a, a high deductible health plan. And the whole idea of being able to leverage insurance for investing in tax-free income and all these other things that people try to sell on whole life, which I think is complete BS for 99% of people, mm-hmm. you can accomplish that actually with an HSA. Mm-hmm. So that to me, I'm always like, Hey, if you like the idea of insurance doing stuff, then just use the HSA and you don't have to buy, you know, expensive insurance at that point. Now there are yeah. times where whole life will make sense and we can get into that at another point, but I really like HSAs because it allows you to invest a nominal amount if you want. You can also pull it back out and reimburse yourself, use it for anything you want. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a practice purchase, a need, personal stuff, you can use it for all kinds of different things. You can just kind of bankroll those healthcare expenses, save your receipts, make sure that you have documentation of all that stuff, keep good records. As the the recording today, you know, you can reimburse yourself years later. Um, that tax laws could change. So make sure, you know, depending on when you listen to this, what happens, but yeah, HSAs are fantastic. The biggest thing is making sure that you have an emergency savings or have some money set aside that if when you first 
initiate that HSA and you don't have a lot of money in there, you're on the hook for a bigger medical bill. And if you don't have it and you put it on credit card, that doesn't necessarily then bode well. So it kind of ruins the whole idea. So you need to have those savings and have some stuff set in place prior. But Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, I think just like from a retirement plan perspective, uh, I have a lot of people that will do simple IRAs mm-hmm. um, initially just because it, you know, it, it, in the term it's simple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, versus a 401k. 401ks, the pricing has come down, but the simple IRA a lot of times is going to then block doing backdoor Roths or other things as their income grows. And mm-hmm. I would much rather keep that door open for people. So sometimes it's just having that conversation of, okay, what do you ideally want to save in a perfect world? What do you want to save? Mm-hmm. We want the ma- majority of the benefit to go to. And then is the, the backdoor Rob, is that something that's appealing? And you could still do it in the future. You could have the simple open for a couple of years and then roll it into a 401k. That's, that's great. You can do that mm-hmm. to kind of bury it. But I don't know. Sometimes I, I just think people gravitate towards the simple too quickly without looking at some of the other options. So not, I mean, very specific, I guess, example, but I just, I feel like it's been on my mind with several discussions yeah. recently. No, I agree with that. I think, I think the other overused one too is the SEP IRA. Um, you know, people will be like, well, I can put more in a SEP, so I'll just do the SEP. Yep. Um, but you're right. It does block that whole back door. <laughs> yeah. And so it just depends like, Hey, there's going to be trade-offs and it's not saying it's right or wrong one mm-hmm. versus the other, that this one is the same thing that we joked before we hit record about, you know, LLCs versus S-Corps. It's not like, it's not always, this is the right answer. Like Mm-mm. it's going to be a little bit more nuanced, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of gray here and there. So it's trying to have that conversation. And sometimes with spouses, it's like, oh, well, one can have it open. One can't, okay, let's balance it. And then we'll, we'll get back to this in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think investing back in your business a lot of times. I mean, I, I show a number of different slides and conversations with, with presentations, like what's a dollar worth reinvesting back in your business. So on the dental side, um, Heartland Dental, you know, after all doctor comp, what they expect to make on a practice is 24%. That's a heck of a lot better than what you can make investing in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times and a lot of dental practices that are run efficiently are much higher than that. So if I think about where's the best place to put a dollar, if you're not completely at capacity marketing, and finding a good marketing partner. Again, that's mm-hmm. not anything that we're doing, right? So it's easy yeah. to be like, hey, you should actually put this back into marketing and spend some money or, you know, outfitting another op. What's that going to cost? Okay, well, let's go spend, you know, $35,000, $40,000, but sounds great. I've had clients that went and took implant courses. So let's go spend 25K. But mm-hmm. um, I would use the example of the school, but for those that are outside the state of Indiana, it wouldn't make any sense. But there's a really, really expensive high school in um, Indianapolis where one of my clients, she was like, I've sent two kids through there and two kids through IU. And I'm, I'm tired of sending all the money to the, the, you know, the specialist. I'm going to, I'm going to take this and I'm going to get outfitted to do that. Cause you know, it's, it's a great return on kind of what that investment looks like. So at the end of the day, like you spent so much time going to school for the skill set, like you want to be able to then unleash that as much as possible. And you don't have to do implants. You don't have to do um, you know, Invisalign, you do what you want to do um, from a dental side in the same way within vet med. And you look at from a really good, well-run practice it's going to be in the teens as far as profit margins. I've seen practices that are significantly higher. Um, I've seen practices that are in the thirties. I've seen mm-hmm. practices that are high forties. And it's mm-hmm. just like, they are very, very niched out as far as who they're taking care of and what they're trying to accomplish. And that's incredible to mm-hmm. see that kind of profit margin. So the average profit margin of a U.S. business 
and this is from biz equity. It's probably 2019 study. It's like 10%. So even a vet practice is, yeah. So that, that takes everything together and you got to think like restaurants, wow. you know, well, restaurants are the worst. And so it's, you're taking like the average and averages can be deceiving, but right. dentistry and vet med are both very profitable, very resilient businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and saw that COVID seen that great financial crisis. We've seen that all kinds of, of other times throughout mm-hmm. the course of history that that's not where people are going to just stop going. Now, are they right. going to stop going for elective stuff, you know, cosmetic cases in dentistry or big surgeries in veterinary medicine? Maybe they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to wait. Um, but man, if, if, if 2020 taught us anything, it's like there is a really robust market for both. And there's a reason why private equity continues to come into both mm-hmm. and you see those valuations go up higher and higher. It's not because they're going to go lose money. Um, right. It's because there's a lot of really strong fundamentals for why both are doing well. Uh, I agree with that. Um, and there's a lot of options too for increasing profits. And, you know, we're just talking to one of our startups about laser therapy, you know, that's kind of on their horizon. Um, and they're here in the Denver area. I would just go over like gangbusters. I am sure. Yeah. Um, cause we tend to, we're like, Oh, there's a new thing we can do. Let's do it. That's how we work here. In this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's really important on that point as well to think about knowing yourself and being self-aware. Like there are older doctors that I know that will spend money on new equipment and it just is very expensive from collecting dust. Um, and that's not great. So it's not great to go spend, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 on something that's going to go collect dust and, and not do a lot for you mm-hmm. just to get a tax write off. Yes. You know, that's one of my soapboxes. So, so don't do that. But if it's like, oh, I can actually see how this is going to work. I'm going to train my team. We're going to build it into our processes and we're really going to run with this thing. No Let's do it. Why. I know, my yeah. I know how I'm going to make money on this thing. Sure. Yeah. Then buy the equipment. Yeah. If you uh, can't explain it to me because I don't have the clinical knowledge, like I, I always ask, like, just explain it to me. It's like, I'm, I'm just Isaiah. I'm, I'm, I'm the dumb, dumb non-doctor, but explain to me how this is going to work and totally- how you're going to be able to monetize it. And then let's go from there. And that's mm-hmm. a great way for me to learn too. It's like, oh, that's cool. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's how I am too. People are like, well, I'm going to buy this equipment. I'm like, why? Because it's the end of the year. Well, I, well, I okay. saw in this Facebook group that I'm in that people are saying I should use this thing, this section 179. What do you think? To buy something for someone section 71. Really? Yeah. So do you need those things? Yeah. Well, hmm. But I want to save the tax dollars. Okay. So your effective tax rate is 25%. <laughs> You want to pay a hundred percent to save 25%. How about we don't use that unless you use that cash for something else, unless but, you have a plan. Yeah. And, or you're and replacing are, something. Yeah. And there, a lot of times it's probably a very, there are plenty of areas that you could spend money to, to use that. It's just not always the big fun ticket items. It could be other things that you're like, Oh yeah, I don't want to upgrade this computer system or get more efficient on this or that. Like, eh, that's not the fun thing. I want the, yeah, the new laser, or the new, I don't know. Again, I'm going to show my ignorance when it comes to all the different equipment in different industries, but like, yeah, there's just so many different. Ultrasounds. Yeah. Ultrasounds. Good. That's and... one that just came up recently. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know what most of these things do. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a veterinarian explain to me and some of the equine stuff she was getting and she sent me pictures. I'm like, thank you. Now I really get it. Cause she just explained to me on the phone. I'm like, okay, I think I get it. She's like, here, I'm going to send you some pictures. I'm like, Oh, got it. Totally makes it. She's like, yeah, this is so they don't like crunch my arm. 
and break my arm. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, that's important. You should probably spend money on that. I mean, I grew up in human med. My mom ran a bunch of purchases and then I'm also birth doula. So I think I know more than your average bear when we talk about medical stuff and it doesn't squick me out at all. But like, still, still I'm kind of confused. <laughs> a lot of the time too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you kind of already answered one of my questions questions, which was how can practice owners grow their more most significant assets more strategically? So you talked about putting money into practices. Rural practices. There. Let's talk about that. Rural practices. Go where the competition's not. Yeah. Interesting. If I wanted uh, to be entrepreneurial in both dentistry and in vet med, I would look to roll up rural practices that are not too far out of metro areas. Because mm-hmm. as you look at consolidators or DSOs that are scooping up all these practices and spending a ton of money. Um, they're buying multi-doc practices a lot of times or highly profitable practices. Mm-hmm. And the reason they don't go rural is sometimes it's like the single or one and a half doctor in vet med, or it's just the you know, maybe sleepier dental office that's not doing as much. But if you can kind of combine those and then you know lump them in, you'll get a, a much higher multiple. But you have to be the right person to want to do that. It has to be that I love the business side, not as much the clinical side. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to have, you're not going to be able to be the doctor for all of those businesses. You're going to have to hire associates. You're going to have to get into management and then you can still be involved. But I think that's a super opportunity because then it allows someone to come in and buy a lot of different practices and without the lead doctor that's made all that happen. Like it is a legitimate business mm-hmm. at that point where you have employees that are running those businesses. It's not the doctor that's there. Mm-hmm. So if you are the owner, but you're not the one, you know, Drilling on the teeth or taking the exams for the, you know, the pet, like that allows you to then have enterprise value. So mm-hmm. I think there's a good opportunity. And even if you just want to have one practice, you want to live, there's no shame at all of just living the simple life, buying a more inexpensive practice that you can afford that's smaller and then growing it and then finding, you know, another associate or a private practice buyer to buy it. That's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. But it's just really hard to compete in kind of metro areas with the price tags that on practices, unless you're really buying something that has a lot of warts and mm-hmm. issues. And there's still opportunities there, but you're going to still be competing against a lot of other people versus being maybe one of the only specialty clinics, or maybe we're going to do weird hours and be the only ER in an hour. Like, okay, you're going to get a lot of business naturally because you're just the person. You will have to be open. Yeah. Also, yeah. Yeah. but also the numbers I've seen on rural practices, um, their labor costs are generally less. Yep. Generally less depending on the areas. So Indiana has um, some parts of the state that has like an Amish population. Mm-hmm. So they'll pay in cash. So you don't have to worry about insurance from a dental perspective. So for those that are worried about dental insurance, um, I think that's a, a super opportunity to look at membership plans or being fee for service. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to, to make that switch. I know a, a dentist that's looking to buy a practice in uh, a younger female dentist came in the area and bought a practice and switched it all to fee for service and lost a lot of patients, but she's going to kind of take that hit to then take a step forward. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how it plays out. But again, having some sort of strategy behind it. One of the interesting things around going back to that SEPA training, mm-hmm. thinking about exit strategy and exit planning. It's really just good business strategy. How do you drive the value of that business higher? And it's just making decisions and you can have, you know, all these different things that you want to do, and then just try to be strategic with what are the ones that are most impactful today. Mm -hmm. 
and what, what can I do without, you know, burning myself out and driving myself nuts? Because yeah, it's great that you have 10 things you try to do 10 and you get none done. And you're like, Oh my gosh, my hair's on fire. And I can't, can't make this work. And I'm too stressed out. I don't think I want to do this practice ownership thing. It's like, well, cause you've set yourself up to fail, like focus on one thing, get good at that and then move to the next. And then if you feel the momentum of that, then add more, that's great, but you don't have to, you're not gonna be able to do it all in one year or one day or one week or one month. It takes time. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think, you know, finding those areas of focus of like, you know, how are we going to grow this this time? Are we growing this? Um, I think that's, I think that's huge and making sure that whatever, you know, you are putting your focus on or creates, you know, is going to create dollars on the back end. Um, it might be scary though. Those changes are hard. Actually, I was talking to um, Laura who did our website and she did, we did headshots today and, she, and uh, I was like, Hey, I hopped into your calendar to schedule a strategy session. And there was like, I could pay. <laughs> I was like, that is awesome. And she's like, I know. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you're kind of slow in the uptake. She's like, but why am I slow in the uptake? She's like, that's something I'm working on. Right. Like if something feels like a good idea and it feels like something that is, that resonates with you and works for your business, just implement it. Like it just needs to happen. Like slow roll of some of this stuff and the slow roll that I watch accountants roll out like their new fee structures and like it's so painful it's painful for everybody when we do things like that so as a business owner like being 100% in on whatever that those changes are you want to make and like just do them and like rip the band-aid off (laughs) and then do the next one yeah and and make sure your team understands what's going on and get them bought in as well. And don't oh, totally. be like, Oh yeah, we think this might work. And this is a great idea. Like you have to tell them this is the reason mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to understand. And one of the things I want to go almost go back to and think about that you brought up earlier was like ways to be better and invest in your business, all of this stuff. I just think communication mm-hmm. from being a clinician, mm-hmm. communicating with your team and understanding the dynamics of the people that you have on your team is so important. And the, the doctors that are able to communicate and articulate things well to their team and have that consistent message will make it so much better long-term for the growth and revenue. And that seems really simple, but like just having good communication skills and like learning about just communication in general, the words that you use, how you mm-hmm. position things, how your team positions things, mm-hmm. how they act. And again, depending on where you're at and who your kind of ideal client is, mm-hmm. patient, you know, make sure that it, it's a representative of how that you know, people are communicating. And then also there's nothing wrong and sales is not a dirty word because you have to make revenue. And so mm-hmm. if you're a communicator and you're explaining all the benefits of why this, they should do something, mm-hmm. you are technically selling, but you're also just helping them solve a need that they have. And if they're open to it, they're going to do it. And if they aren't, that's totally fine, but at least be able to articulate and explain and communicate well, I think goes a long way because you can be the best clinician in the world. And if you can't communicate with another sum, uh, another human, mm-hmm. um, not going to be great. And I think especially in vet med hearing, well, I got into this for the the pets. I'm not, I'm not, I'm here for the animals. I'm not here for the people. Well, all those pets are connected to a person. And until the pets are the one paying the bills, like you got to deal with the people. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but you have to. Um, that's actually funny because I mean, there's parallels in the doula community. It's like, I'm here for the babies. I'm like, Birth has nothing to do with the baby, (laughs) you know, like I can like one hand, the number of babies I held in births, 
No, it's not for the baby. The parents, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's you know that's my job as a birth doula was to doula the parents, not to doula the baby. The baby's gonna do its thing yeah. at some point. Um, so that's actually really interesting. It's it's an interesting take on, you know, we have to communicate with our team. One of the big things that you know I find that is so impactful too is just creating those systems, right? Like bracing systems or whatever the systems are, and like explaining like this streamlines this for everybody, or you know. Just makes everything transparent for everybody, including the client and you and everybody else. Um, those are some of the things that I tend to find are super helpful too. Like if we have a plan and we know where we're doing the plan, all we have to do is implement the plan and everybody is like, oh, okay, well, thank you for spelling this out for me. <laughs> you know, and it's, easy, it's easier to have buy-in when it's like, okay, you know, it's all laid out. We know how this is going to work and how it's going to impact us and in knowing how your team is wired again, what is the benefit to one versus the other is going to be very different versus just mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to communicate, this is the benefit and everyone's going to get it. Well, you might have to slightly tweak that communication style for each person to mm-hmm. explain to them why it's a benefit and why they need to embrace it. Because if you get them to buy in and do it, they're the ones that are going to run with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, systems and processes are fantastic. And that's part of why I merged like bunch of planning, like, oh, that's great. And that's what I do, but like the internal systems and our business and just thinking about all that, it's never been something that I love doing, right? It's like, you have to do it versus having people on the team that can help. And I think it's the same way when you're a business owner, like you have to figure out if that's not you, who on your team or who outside from a professional partner, can you bring in to help you think through that strategically and get things done? And also if you're going to pay for something, think about what is an hour of your time worth? And if you're spending this much time doing this thing, how can you take that and either get back more time so you can work and produce more or go and hang out with your family or friends or whatever it is that you want to do? Mm-hmm. So what's your time worth? I think that's an, an easy way to, to come back to when should you outsource stuff? When should you retain it? And how do you go hire people? So um, the question also is how much do you want your time to be worth? Yes. What is it today? Not enough, probably for most people. They're gonna say, "Oh, I wish it. I wish I made you know this this amount, right? That would be great." Okay, how do you get there? Well, maybe not micromanaging people and hiring people that can go do things, and then you can free yourself up to do the the high you know priority task or the the high you know production or high you know, volume, not high volume, but you know high price point type of things, and focus on that work versus the, the things that it's like, oh, that's a twenty dollar an hour type of job that. You went to school for four years for that? No, you didn't. So go do something different. Well, that's it. Like whoever's making the $20 is probably way more capable of doing that thing yep. as well. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like, you know, there's things I don't do in my business. I don't do my bookkeeping. I don't do payroll because I have other things to do. And I can't preach this to my business owners without being the same. Yeah. Just because I'm... In, pretty darn good at both of those things doesn't mean I should be doing them. Yep. It's not the best, highest and best use of my time, nor sure. is it the highest and best use of any of my clients. Um, that's just how I practice what I preach. But also it wasn't getting done. <laughs> that's important. Well, disclosure, bookkeeping was not getting done. My bookkeeper hopped in to like finish some year and stuff. She's like, you were reconciled in like a year and a half. And I'm like, I know. Here you go. Here's the statements. 
have fun. <laughs> I was like, well, I know it all ties, but like, I just like, it's all categorized. I was like, yeah, see, I'm good at categorizing and going like once a week. Um, give up the stuff. That's the big thing. <laughs> give up that little stuff. All right. All right. I want to talk about Bitcoin and I'll get you out of here. Dale? Yeah. If, how, how long do you have? <laughs> I'm just going to let you roll with this one. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so so you're, you're pretty big into Bitcoin. I am. All right. Um, why? How? Who is a good, good fit for? And uh, what kind of mindset should we have around Bitcoin? Mm, all good questions. So the first is, what is Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin is just better money. That's the easiest definition that I can give someone. It's just better money. Mm-hmm. And so I use a lot of the same like quotes, but I think the best quote that I've found around kind of what is Bitcoin is from Lynn Alden and her three reasons for investing in Bitcoin. So she wrote it in April of 2020. She goes, although it has no industrial use, it is scarce, durable, portable, divisible, verifiable, storable, fungible, saleable, and recognized across borders, therefore has the properties of money. Mm-hmm. The last part right here is really important though. Like all potential money though, it needs to have sustained demand to have value. So money has taken so many different shapes and sizes over the course of history. It was seashells, raw stones, um, you know, agri beads, which were called like slaves beads, which was a big part of like the slave trade. You had gold for a lot of years. That was something that was there. Um, you know, money is just basically anything that's going to help people be able to transact. Mm-hmm. Like it is solely there to be something that allows you to specialize in what you do and trade with me. And we have the same unit of measurement. Mm-hmm. And so you want something that is easy to measure and easy to verify and understand, like it gives us an inter- instrument to compare things. So that's what Bitcoin is, right? Bitcoin is just better money. It's digital money. Everything is digital today. So why not have digital money? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next question, I'll probably have to be reprompted. So that's the initial piece of it. Why? So it was, what is Bitcoin? Um, why should we use, or like, I guess really the question is, what, what should, should we be using Bitcoin as like what we transact with? Or is it an investment? Yeah. So today, the way the tax laws are written, it is not something to transact with, in my opinion, because it is going to kick off a, what they call a capital gain each time you would use it for a purchase. So Agreed. those those laws need and should be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people that are in positions in, in the federal government that are Bitcoiners, right? So mm-hmm. Cynthia Lemus is probably the most famous one from Wyoming. Um, Warren Davidson from Ohio is is another one. So Cynthia is a senator. Warren is a House of or he's a representative, I think. Mm-hmm. Check that. But um, basically, you know, why? So if you look at the supply of US dollars and you look at the value that the US dollars held, to me, that is like the, the critical component and like what makes good money. So Bitcoin is better money because it is far, far, far superior than the US dollar. So the US dollar is what they call like fiat currency, which means it's backed by nothing. Mm-hmm. Technically, technically, the US dollar is backed by the, the full faith of the federal government, which is backed by the military, which is backed by other things. There's a fantastic article written by Alex Gladstein around the petrodollar. And it just really opens your eyes around some of the stuff that's happened to control and how the US dollars become the world's reserve currency, which is the world runs on US dollars. Mm-hmm. And the world runs on US dollars because of the deal that was struck back in I think the 70s with Saudi Arabia to make sure that all the oil that they sold was sold in US dollars. 
this is going like way down rabbit holes. Um, but oh, anyways, yeah. so think about that. And there's a really good piece and I can have you linked to it, but I think people should read that or listen to it if you have any interest, because it helps really clarify why is the US dollar kind of the, the world's reserve currency? Um, but what it is today is it's not backed by gold. It used to, that, ha- that changed in the seventies when Nixon basically said, nope, you can't redeem it for gold anymore. So fiat money has no intrinsic value. It only has value because the government maintains its value or because parties engaging in exchange agree on its value. So every fiat currency has failed for, the, for existence. The oldest fiat currency is the um, British pound sterling. So it's 317 years old and it was originally 12 ounces of silver. It is now worth less than 0.5% of its original value. U.S. dollar um, monopoly money, 1935, has held its value more than the U.S. dollar. So you just look at all these things and holding dollars today mm-hmm. in your bank account for purchasing power, you're losing on average about 6% per year, going back to 1980. If you look at the money supply growth, um, everyone knows what happened in 2020. And again, right or wrong, whatever your political opinions, mm-hmm. whatever you think was the right decision, the amount of creation of money mm-hmm. was $5 trillion dollars if the United States taxed 100% of profits for every business in the United States in 2019, it was 2.25 trillion. So raising taxes is not going to solve this issue. It's a spending problem. And we are way, 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 way over our spending problem. If we were a company, if we were a business, if we were a household, we'd be bankrupt. So to me, that is why Bitcoin matters because it protects your purchasing power. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. About 89% of those have already been issued in the marketplace. The only way to reflect demand in Bitcoin is through the price. The way that new dollars are created is all based on what the Federal Reserve and the government decides. And no one knows when or how they'll make those changes. Like it is purely at their discretion. And to me, I would much rather have a money that is decentralized, it's consensus based. So anyone and everyone is treated exactly the same. So if you have 0.0001 Bitcoin, which you can buy, you can buy, you know, $5 for the Bitcoin on cash app, or you can have, you know, a hundred thousand Bitcoin, like micro strategies and Michael Saylor, like you can Mm -hmm. have, and you get treated the same versus with the U S dollar. Like if I don't know how to invest well, and I'm just going to my job and I'm working, I save it in the bank. I'm losing every year that money. How am I ever supposed to retire? Mm -hmm. And so you want money that's just not going to lose its purchasing power. And so for me, that's kind of the why behind it. And I know that's a really long answer. And my encouragement to, to anyone around Bitcoin is like, it is just something that takes time to get. Mm-hmm. And you can read an article that comes out on CNBC or somewhere else, and they're going to say one thing, but it's like, you really need to dig in and try to mm-hmm. learn about this. And so it's, it is without a doubt, and I've said it multiple times, it's the story of this decade. The adoption of Bitcoin is the story of the decade. I think it's really, really, really important that people pay attention. What, how is, how is Bitcoin backed? So Bitcoin is backed by what they call proof of work. So what proof of work is, is you'll hear people, and this is kind of the FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that comes out around Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll say, hey, it's going to boil the oceans. It's going to destroy. It uses so much energy, all this other stuff. So right now, um, if you put Christmas tree lights out, um, the United States with their Christmas tree light usage uses more energy than Bitcoin network. So until you're willing to turn off all your Christmas lights, like that argument's null and void. Um, Also, if you look at the gold mining industry, um, it uses more energy and is more destructive to the environment than Bitcoin and the current banking system. If you include all of the stuff that goes on with that, it's way more energy intensive. So 
so Bitcoin proof of work is super, super important as far as understanding how Bitcoin is backed. Because you'll hear people that'll say, well, Bitcoin's not backed by anything. Mm-hmm. But the way that Bitcoin transactions and the way that new Bitcoin come onto the, the network, so how they're issued is you have Bitcoin miners, right? So the Bitcoin miners, they're solving these these equations, they're competing to get paid in Bitcoin. They have to have energy input to run the machines. And so that is the proof of work. That's the sweat, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to go and I'm going to try to go get, you know, big and strong in the gym, I have to put in my work, right? To get, get the muscles. It's the same thing in Bitcoin. Like you have to go in and expend energy and hope that you get the reward. And there's lots of people competing. So it is a free and open market. Hmm. And the goal is that to drive down energy costs, if that's your biggest input, I want renewable energy. I want energy that is cheap. So actually, Bitcoin is the key to a green energy movement around the world. If you really- For those mining servers. Yes, exactly. Because you're just helping then secure the monetary system of the world. And I published, or I didn't publish anything. No, I, uh, I shared an article that uh, was really good. It was about like checking your, um, checking your privilege on Bitcoin because you look at around the world, there's a lot of countries where they have- inflation that is out of control where people are taking wheelbarrows to go get, you know, like chicken and bread. Right. So Bitcoin still solves all those issues where it treats everyone the same. So the idea that the world could have one decentralized anonymous founded, no one controls it. It's for the people, by the people, like that's the most American style freedom thing that's out there. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's like Bitcoin is built for a digital world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I know that's going off tangent. No, I love it. It, it's, it's proof of work. So just think about, you know, you have to sweat to get something you can't, there's no magic pill to get fit. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my issues with some of the other cryptocurrencies and why you know people refer to those as shit coins is because they're moving to either proof of stake or other things, which are similar to the idea of, if I have more, I have more power, I have more voting rights. And that's just not fair. And that's mm-hmm. not a good way to do it. And so proof of work is really important. And there's a lot of negative things that come out around the energy usage. Um, the development of our civilization is all around energy consumption. Mm-hmm. We need it to consume energy to continue to develop and grow. So mm-hmm. that's really important. That's interesting. Um, Bitcoin's on blockchain though, right? Or are, are they all on blockchain? Yeah. So if you think about Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin, the asset, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. the network, and then the blockchain is just basically the ledger or recording mm-hmm. uh, movements around. I always use like the Jurassic park version of like the, um, the mosquito or whatever that gets into the amber and it fills over. Like that's the idea behind it. If you've never seen Jurassic Park, then mm-hmm. it's a terrible movie. But you know, it it basically is locking that in for mm-hmm. all of time and you can't change it. So it's immutable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing around Bitcoin is once you send it, there's no like, oh recall, oops, I made a mistake. Like, hey, tell my bank to re- like cancel that transaction. Like you can't. So it's done. So it's final settlement, which is really important. Um, that also allows it to be something that can't be censored. And I think that's really important too. When you think about freedom and you think about, you know, doing things and people are like, well, I don't have, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm not doing anything bad. Well, you have governments around the world or people in power sometimes that will be like, oh, well, this party is, you know, trying to take power from me. Like I'm just going to shut off their bank accounts. And that mm-hmm. happens. And again, we're spoiled in the United States, but even from a United States perspective, if you want better money and you want something that can retain its purchasing power over time, Bitcoin is something that, yes, it's volatile, but what's the time length that you're going to measure that by? If you need something in the next month or three months, yeah, I'm not going to tell you, put your money in Bitcoin, right? But if you're thinking, I want to preserve this for the future, for Mm -hmm. something that is longer, if I hold cash, I'm signing up to lose about 10 to 15% in the current environment that we're at. 
Mm-hmm. So I can fail. I can fail slow, which maybe feels better, but it's still not a better outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I'm obviously like we've had this conversation yeah. a couple times now, yeah. um, and I just find it. I just find it so interesting, and I know there's just a ton more to learn about you know, how to use it and how. I mean, but there's entire industries that run on Bitcoin in the U.S. There, there are a lot of there are a lot of businesses that are starting to be developed, and the ecosystem is insane. What is being being done? Um, mm-hmm. If I didn't do what I do, if I didn't do what I'm doing now, and I still mm-hmm. get to talk about Bitcoin, so it still fills that fills that kind of uh, mm-hmm. that need because I can talk to people about it, and I do think it's going to play an impact in small business ownership because as as Bitcoin grows, and if we do see a tax law change, one of the yeah. interesting things about Bitcoin is the way that it kind of scales. So there's like this base layer, which is like Bitcoin in the blockchain. The mm-hmm. second layer is something called lightning, but mm-hmm. everyone will talk about, well, I can't pay with Bitcoin for my coffee because it takes 10 minutes to, to go through a block. Well, lightning, it allows for instant settlement in a trust minimized way. So it's not as secure as the bottom layer, but if I'm spending $5 for coffee, I don't need it to be like, you know, Brinks mm-hmm. truck secure the same way where it's okay to have, you know, maybe not as much security, but it's still way more secure than a lot of other opportunities there. But you think about how many small businesses have, you know, a little square reader or have these other things that are eating those credit card fees every time. Mm-hmm. If you, we would move to a lightning network, mm-hmm. the cost to, to send that is maybe a fraction of a penny or a penny. Mm-hmm. And that is paid by the person sending it. So if I'm paying for my cup of coffee at my favorite local place in Noblesville, mm-hmm. instead of them having to eat that two ninety nine fee on my $5 cup of coffee, now they can charge the full amount and they get the full amount. Is mm-hmm. that going to lower or raise prices? Probably they can probably look the same or lower. And and so the thing with the thing with Bitcoin is we're so caught up in this world of prices always have to go up because of inflation, because we create more money. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin could actually be an environment where prices could go down. Crazy. I actually was at a business. Blows blows your mind. I was at a business about six months ago. um, And you give them your card, like your credit card and in dollars and they convert it to Bitcoin and then you get your receipt in Bitcoin. I don't, I'm not sure it was Bitcoin. It was, a, it, but it was cryptocurrency. Yep. Um, and I was like, that was cool. And it, that my, my, my fee was like a penny or two. Yeah. I think, or like there was a conversion fee or something. And I was like, yep. it was like a dollar. And I was like, that was really cool. <laughs> I actually kind of wish I would have kept that. Cause I was like, this is yeah. the near future. Yeah. So like we could, we, I could send you money right now. If we had the same app, like there, there's different, you know, ways to do that. We could send Bitcoin on this call by reading mm-hmm. a QR code across to, you know, a zoom call mm-hmm. and we could do be that around the world and it can get there like that in a second, which is amazing. And exactly. you don't have to wait for banking hours. You're not paying for all the transaction fees, especially for clients that, or people just in general, anyone, right. That has family back home, they send money to, and I have several people that, you know, they support family back mm-hmm. home and, you know, they're first generation and they're here and doing a lot of know, wonderful things, but they still have family that they're sending money back to and the fees on that are insane. And so for me, that's another great solution for that. And again, there is Bitcoin is an onion. Bitcoin Mm -hmm. is an onion, right? There's so many different layers to it. So we could talk for hours on it, but I know like we're not going to. So I I, I would just tell people, I would just tell people to explore it. Don't write it off. Mm -hmm. Don't write it off because you heard someone say something that is probably um, not well thought out and haven't spent the time on it. Yeah, I mean, I think with a lot of stuff that like you deal with and I deal with, like people have a very like surface layer understanding of these things. Um, that's not right. Or like, yep. I don't know why that person is. 
All right, awesome. Um, before I ask my last question, um, what is the um, what is the easiest way to find you? I would say the easiest way to find me is probably LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. If you want unfiltered, tons of Bitcoin content, you can go to Twitter. That's probably where I'm a little bit more expressive at times. Okay. Um, on on Instagram as well, although I'm probably the worst millennial of Instagram. So I would say LinkedIn is probably where I share the most interesting content. And then for those that are out there, I have a podcast for veterinarians called the Veterinary Success Podcast and have just started a dental podcast with a co-host called Dentistry Uncut. Similar ideas of kind of interview style. If you like, you know, you like this? if you like this, if you like this, um, I'm just trying to keep up and, and get episodes out like, like Jamie is. So um, that's the easiest way. Feel free to reach out, ask questions. And, you know, no question is like a really hard question from that standpoint. Like just ask what you want to know. Yeah. And we'll drop all the links on that. Like we do. Awesome. Um, what is the one piece of advice you would give a new practice owner? I would tell them to continue to invest in your people. It's really hard to find good people. And if mm -hmm. you have to take a risk of maybe paying slightly more for someone that's really good, you're going to build loyalty and make sure that they, that they know you care. And there's easy ways to do that in just being genuine with them and being open. But at the end of the day, you make the decisions. You can't let other people run it. And if I'm a new practice owner and someone's been there for 20 years, be like, hey, that's great that that's how the old doctor did it. Mm -hmm. um, I also have, you know, the student loans I got to pay and this other stuff. We are going to do it this way. Like, mm -hmm. I want you to be here. I want you to be involved. But if it's, it's not the right fit, then I have no problem saying, see you later. And okay. just getting the right team is so important. It'll make your life way easier and it'll make your business so much more productive. So I think it's getting your people right. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. This is a blast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant. Be abundant.